you have your Bibles, please turn to Acts chapter 20 as we continue in our series, The Body of Christ. If you are a guest uh, with us today, we're really glad that you're here. Uh, typically, we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse, preaching expositorily. And we want to preach expositorily today, uh, but we are in the midst of a series, and a timely one really for our church, as we're continuing to learn together what the body of body of Christ is a metaphor uh, in the scriptures to describe the church and the function of the church. And so today we're going to be covering what overseers of the body are, the elders, the pastors of the church, what the function of the pastor is and how it is provided by God as a means of provision for his church. I'm grateful that 10 years ago, First Baptist Church of Irving established the office of elder uh, in the church. Uh, that was a, a faithful move at the time. And it was faithful because it's biblical. And we're thankful for those who have served this body as overseers, and there have been many who have, faithful men who have served us in difficult times, in seasons of transition, uh, in good days and in hard days. I'm looking at Bud Letterbore here, one of our very first elders, which happy 95th birthday, Mr. Bud. We're thankful for you. But you have shepherded us, you and men like you have shepherded shepherded this church well. In fact, I was a member of this church being shepherded by some of you, which is a blessing now to be shepherding alongside you. But we do recognize that the office of overseer is a, is a biblical office. And we want to make sure as we grow, not just that we established it 10 years ago, but that we continue to learn what it is according to the scripture. Uh, just like all things in Christian doctrine, uh, you cannot just learn something after one study of it. We sit under the authority of God's word and God through his spirit begins to put together and piece together deeper and fuller meaning of certain doctrines. And ecclesiology and the doctrine of uh, the church and specifically the roles inside the church are no different. We continue to learn these roles as we mature as a church. I have kind of three big aims for us today, kind of hopes as we work through Acts chapter 20 and, and kind of go throughout the scriptures and certain texts. Uh, one, we want to show that the office of elder is an institution ordered and designed by God. And if it's ordered and designed by God, it ought to be our conviction. And we ought to operate within it in a way that pleases God and is biblical. That means this is not man's idea. This isn't some new idea that's resurfacing and it's a catchy thing that the church is doing these days. No, this is a biblical thing that God is allowing us to recapture. We want to see that from God's word today. Number two, we want to show a clear understanding of what the role and office of an elder is and how God has intended that office to be used to serve the body of Christ. Uh, so the functions of that office, the responsibilities within that office, we'll be looking at. And then finally, we want to talk about the relationship between the congregation and the elders or the overseers. Congregation, you have a very important responsibility 
when it comes to the office of overseer, identifying men who are qualified, following their lead, making sure that the doctrine is kept, and uh, making sure that uh, we're growing in the teaching given by the elders and the officers who oversee the church. Uh, This is what it looks like. Uh, When we look at the elders, and we're going to look at the qualifications of the elders for a bit, these are the people you ought to be looking for within the body to see who should be shepherding her. Now, uh, just to give some background before we get into Acts chapter 20, uh, elders in the church, much like deacons, which we heard last week, were set in place after the church began. So when the gospel went forward in Acts chapter 2 and the church formed by the preaching of the word, people came to faith in Christ through the repentance of their sin and trust in Jesus and his righteousness. Uh, The church began to mature over time and God began to design and uh, put her together in a way that would help the church to function and grow in spiritual progression. Now, as we saw last week, deacons were provided to the church to serve the needs of the body and to preserve uh, the word of truth so that the elders could do the work of ministry. We see this in Acts chapter 6. By Acts chapter 11, we see that there are elders in the church at Jerusalem. By the time Paul goes around his first missionary journey in Acts chapter 14, specifically verse 23, Part of their agenda in that first missionary journey was to preach the gospel. And as the gospel was received and the churches were formed, they set elders in all of those cities of the first missionary journey. Cities like Iconium, Antioch, Lystra, Derbe. In the second missionary journeys, we see Paul going around planting churches like Ephesus in Acts chapter 18, uh, Philippi in Acts chapter 16. And we see in both of those churches later on, that elders are present in the churches. By the time Paul gets into prison in the early 60s, in the late last part of his ministry, he's writing his final letters to Timothy and to Titus, and he's, he's telling them, hey, this is what elders ought to look like. And Titus, go around the island of Crete and make sure that elders are in every single town, in every local church. The reason I mention all of this history, this background on the office of overseer, is because I want us to see that there isn't a church in the New Testament in which elders are not a part of. This is a biblical office. This is a responsibility that, and, and, and a mission that Paul has to make sure that the churches he plants are guarded and cared for by faithful men in the local church. And so here in Acts chapter 20, he's been in Ephesus. We see in Acts chapter 19 for nearly three years preaching the gospel. He has proclaimed the gospel at the temple of Artemis. He's proclaimed the gospel in synagogues. He has proclaimed the gospel from house to house. And and a, and a a riot kind of rises up at the preaching of the gospel, and ultimately it forces Paul to continue in his third missionary journey. And he goes to cities like Syria and Macedonia. But before he goes back to Jerusalem for Pentecost, he stops in Miletus and he calls the Ephesian elders, those whom he spent three years with. And he wants to talk to them one final time. 
He wants to remind them one more time what their responsibility is to the church at Ephesus. And it's in this little window here in Acts chapter 20 that we get a good idea of what it looks like to be an overseer of the church. It's, it's here that we see how Paul himself shepherded the church and serves as an example for the church. But we also get to see what it looks like for the elders that God has placed in Ephesus and the exhortations that they've received, what it is for them to shepherd the, the flock of God. And these very same exhortations, they drive us today as we think about the office of overseer. So look with me in verse 28, and I'll read the scriptures to you. Paul says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. This is the word of the Lord. Our main point for us today is simply this. Paul's farewell address to the elders of the church at Ephesus reveals the essence and the necessity of the office of overseer within the body of Christ. I'll read that again. Paul's farewell address to the, uh, to the elders of the church at Ephesus reveals the essence and the necessity of the office of overseer within the body of Christ. Today, we're simply gonna look at Paul's exhortations, his encouragements, his warnings to the office of overseers. And from here, we're gonna kind of build out a pastoral theology as we continue in this series, The Body of Christ. As we look at the overseers of that body, what it looks like to shepherd and to shepherd the flock of God. And not, not our flock, but the flock of God. So what do pastors do and why do pastors do what they do? So inside of this exhortation, we're going to look at kind of two categories today. So Paul's exhortation to the overseers, that's just like the one point we're looking at, all right? So just one point today, but inside of that, there's going to be two categories. Verse 28, I'm just going to read it again. This is what it looks like. Just kind of capture this verse. If you're, if you're taking notes, verse 28 is really important. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. That is a summary right here of pastoral theology. And it's the exhortation that we're going to kind of base the entire argument in today in this uh, farewell speech of Paul. So the, the first observation within that exhortation uh, is who is it that he's talking to? Well, he's talking to the pastors of the flock. So that general that general first observation, the pastoring of the flock. There's a couple of things that I want us to 
see today that are really important as we build out what the Bible talks about in regard to the overseers of the church and the responsibilities and the function of that office. The first one is this, plurality. Notice with me in verse 28. He says the overseers of the church. Now, if we were to go back up to verse 17 in Acts chapter 20, we recognize that he calls the elders of the church of Ephesus to Miletus, where Paul is harboring before he goes on to Jerusalem. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is because everywhere we look in Scripture, elders, overseers, are mentioned in plurality. In fact, there's only a couple of times in which a, a pastor, overseer, elder is mentioned in the singular. And it's found in 1 Timothy 5, when the congregation has a charge against an elder, it's because that one elder has done something. And this is the witness of two or three that, that Paul gets into. The only other time elder or pastor is mentioned in the singular is when John himself refers to himself as the elder in 2 John and 3 John. But every other time, it's mentioned in the plurality. And that's important for us because we believe that here. That, that, that's our theology. That's our practice in pastoral care is to have not just one pastor, but many pastors because we see this practice. We saw this as mentioned already in Acts chapter 14. They established elders in every town. Same thing in Titus chapter 1. In James chapter 5, if you're sick, bring the elders of the church to pray for you. Uh, we see that the letter of Philippians was written to the office of overseers and the deacons. We see a consistency of a plurality in the body of Christ. So if we think about that practically, we recognize that especially a congregation this size it's going to have a lot of different needs within the body. And God in his kindness provides a plurality of leaders to tend to and to care for those needs. The second thing I want us to see is the terms that Paul uses here. So he mentions plurality, both elders and overseers, but we also have to recognize that he's mentioning different terms to describe this office. It's not just one term that he continues to use. There are three terms, in fact, that are used in this passage. Look with me in 28. He says, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Well, that word there is episkopos. It's where we get our term for bishop or overseer. But back in verse 17, he uses the word pres uh, presbyteros, which is where we get the term elder. So he's addressing the elders of the church, and he's calling them overseers. And then look with me, also in 28, he says, to care for the church of God. So the elders and the overseers of the church have a responsibility, see with me in 28, to care for the church of God. It might be that in your translation it says, shepherd the church of God. Well, that little word, poimeno, comes from the Greek word poimen, which is where we get our word pastor or shepherd. The only time pastor is used as a noun is in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, when 
God's, or when Paul says that God gives gifts to the church, and one of those gifts to the church is pastors. And he calls pastors shepherds. Uh, we see these three terms, uh, overseer, elder, pastor, interchangeably used. They're synonyms. He's not referring to different people here. Uh, we see the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 5. Um, he uses all three t uh, terms interchangeably. And that's really important if you think about it because uh, sometimes we just say pastors and then we have elders. But what we're really saying is elders are pastors and pastors are elders. And they have a responsibility to oversee the flock of God. Now, he does make distinction in 1 Timothy 5 that some elders and pastors have the responsibility of preaching and teaching. Others have the responsibility of administration. But all pastors and elders have the same responsibility to shepherd the flock of God, to care for the flock of God. So elders, pastor, and pastors oversee, and overseers are elders. They're all used interchangeably, which is important for us to consider, and you can cross-reference that in 1 Peter 5 if you have time later on. Another observation that we see here as we think about pastors within the congregation, verse 28 also tells us that they are made or appointed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is responsible for making overseers. So these men, in their plurality, are called to shepherd God's people and they oversee, and they pastor, and they're appointed by God to do so. That means a degree doesn't qualify them. Uh, that means a program that you walk through doesn't qualify you. That doesn't mean your own sense to want to do the work qualifies you. But the Holy Spirit of God makes overseers, which congregation, you should be encouraged that your God cares for you in a way to form a, a group of men to care for you as you progress in the faith and you are made mature into the image of Christ. This is God's providence for you, church, that his spirit has made this possible. Now, the way that this works out is that inside of certain men within a local congregation is a desire to begin to oversee and shepherd God's people. It's this desire that begins to swell up. It's a desire that begins to care more about the people than your own self. It's a desire that you want to see people formed into maturity and it begins to swell within. Now, if you could, keep your finger in Acts chapter 20. I'm just going to move over to 1 Timothy 3 very quickly. As we think about this, the way that Paul describes this outworking of the Holy Spirit in the heart, he says in 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1, he uses particular language here. He says, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So this spirit, the Holy Spirit who appoints men to this position begins to work out this aspiring in their heart, okay? 
And this is how we know, congregation, that it's more than just an aspiration, but there could be affirmation that the congregation provides to it. Because look at these qualifications that Paul lays out here. 1 Timothy 3, chapter uh, verse 1 through 7. I'm just going to read this over you and just bring out a few observations for the sake of time. So if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, notice how he says overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So these are the qualifications that these overseers are to live out, that you're to recognize them by. And so let's think about this practically. The Spirit appoints there's a desire in men to go and to do this work. And then the way that the church recognizes these men is whether or not they meet these qualifications. Now, these qualifications aren't extreme. If we're, if we're actually honest with ourselves, these are just mostly Christian responsibilities that all of us have. So a, a very quick application, read these qualifications and just see yourself in your own life. Are, are these true of you? Uh, they should be, uh, except for two distinctives. Uh, elders cannot be recent converts. That's verse 6. In verse 2, they must be able to teach. They must be able to handle God's word and, and, and to instruct both in teaching moments and then also in private settings the word of God. But these are ways that we get to see who is qualified for this office. Now, these qualifications are in the present tense, which means they're not just to be once and for all qualified, but we're to continue to be qualified to serve out this responsibility amongst you each and every single day. Not perfect, but blameless, recognizing who God is, recognizing our error, and quickly repenting and trusting and believing who Christ is as we walk out our life before you. This is provision for the church that you get to participate in. You get to observe uh, men who are qualified for this role. And that takes all members of the church. Uh, you get to study and to observe those who might be interested in walking this out and then faithful to do so. So let's think about that. Uh, called, a person has a, a desire to go into the office of ministry. Um, and then you, church, affirm whether or not that is true. So this is the whole church working together. So there's a plurality of men uh, who are pastors, overseers doing the work of shepherding appointed by the Holy Spirit and they must be qualified to do so 
And this is who he's talking to. This is who Paul's talking to right here in Acts chapter 20. Men who are in plurality, who are overseeing the church, and who are qualified to do so. Now, what is it that they are supposed to do? Well, this is the second observation that we're going to be looking at inside of this exhortation that Paul is giving. Look with me in verse 28, back in Acts chapter 20. These men are to protect the church. This is the bulwark of their responsibility, is to protect the church. And they're going to do that in two different ways. The first way is elders and pastors have a responsibility to guard themselves. And the second way is that pastors and elders have a responsibility to guard the flock. Well, let's look at that first protecting responsibility that we have, to guard the self Pay careful attention to yourselves, Paul says. We have a responsibility, pastors and elders. If you are a pastor, an elder of this church, I want you to know that I am so thankful for you. I know this congregation is thankful for you. Uh, we have a responsibility to first and foremost guard ourselves. That, that means we must guard our time with the Lord. We must fellowship with God, uh, we must be with him before we, are, before we see the face of man. Uh, we must walk out a life that is faithful in repentance, always guarding our hearts, uh, not being distracted by the tyranny of the urgent, uh, making sure that we remember the gospel and that we're applying the gospel to our own lives. If you are currently a pastor and elder in this church, this is your responsibility. This is my responsibility to you, church, is to guard myself and to make sure that I am not distracted or tempted or lured away by any enticing thing that this world throws at me or us. But we must know God and we must walk with God we must guard ourselves. We must pursue holiness. Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, 16, it's summed up so beautifully here. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. Listen to what he says. For by doing so, you will both save yourself and your hearers. There is responsibility to make sure that we are guarding ourselves, church that we are prostrate before the Lord, knowing who he is, remembering his glorious gospel, caring for our families before we even interact with you. Would you pray for us to do that well? Uh, this is an appeal. It's not, it's not a selfish appeal. It's actually in a biblical appeal. Will you pray for us to guard our own selves? to guard the way that we use technology, to guard the way that we use our free time. Every conversation that we have, every place that we're, we find ourselves, will you, will you pray that we would wake up early in the morning and be with God and know God and love God? That we would be men of the scriptures? That we would feast on the word of God, never letting it depart from us? Would you please, please do that for us? Congregation, would you pray that we would be men that guard ourselves? Pastors are falling to sin everywhere. Have you noticed that? 
Have you noticed that in the time and day and age that we live, pastors are falling to pride, they're falling to uh, foolish uh, systems of philosophy, trying to get really big, get really powerful, but have left themselves unguarded? Have you, have you noticed the day and age in which we live? It's all around us, and I'll tell you, the, the pastors and overseers of this church are no different. We're just mere men. It's completely capable of falling and completely capable of sin. Completely capable of falling to pride. Completely capable of falling to sexual immorality. Will you pray for us? Richard Baxter, the great English pastor, says, take heed, listen to this. If, if you're a pastor or an aspiring pastor, listen to this. Take heed to yourself, lest your example contradict your doctrine. Unless you lay such stumbling blocks before the blind as may be the occasion of their ruin. Lest you unsay with your lives what you have said with your tongues. May our lives and the doctrine that we proclaim to you be in perfect unity together. Pray for us, church. We need you to pray for us. The second responsibility that we have is to guard the flock, is to guard you and to care for you. He says in verse 28, again, pay attention to yourselves, but to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made us overseers. And he says, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I don't want us to pass over that at all. He wants us to shepherd the flock of God, not our flock. You have been purchased by the chief shepherd who has made a people for himself by his own blood and we are called to care for you as you be, are being prepared to see his faith, face. We're walking alongside you, moving you to see him. Not looking at us except for example, but pointing you to him. And that is our responsibility. And we are to protect you. We are to guard you, aggressively guard you, I would say. Like a soldier serving a king. Uh, like a watchman in the night. We have responsibility for each and every single person who is a part of First Irving. Uh, we're not to guard all of the sheep everywhere. Uh, that's why you don't see our pastors going to speak at conferences or going all these different places. We're called to shepherd you. Not that we could. It's not like we're being asked to, but e even if we were, <laughs> but even if we were, our responsibility convictionally by the word of God is for you, is to care for you and to love you, church. It's what, Paul it's what Peter talks about in 1, Timothy 5, or 1 Peter 5 is to shepherd the flock of God in which we've been entrusted. And it's you. And we're gonna do this because Christ died for his church and the church is precious to the chief shepherd. This is his body. Uh, this is for whom he died. And therefore the elders of the congregation, we lay our lives down so that you get to, to see the one who died for you. And that you're prepared for it. And that you long for the day you get to see his face. Our love for Christ, overseers, will be revealed in how we love the church. How we guard the church will be revealed 
or will reveal how we love Christ. I just want us to think about that. So he says, pay careful attention. That paying careful attention means we must shepherd the flock. Verse 28. Uh, there's a, a few categories out there of how we can care for the church. I want to think about these uh, with you. Um, uh, Timothy Whitmer, who's a pastor, wrote a great book uh, on shepherding. And, and there's other pastoral books like it. But inside that word care, inside that word shepherd, there's some categories. And I want to think about this practically with you. The categories are this. We're, we're, we're called to know the sheep. We're called to feed the sheep. We're called to lead the sheep. And we're called to protect the sheep. Uh, all, all, with, with your good interest in view and with God's glory in view as well. To know you means we need to be around you. Uh, to know you is to know what your hurts are and your pains are. Uh, because we're actually going to give an account for you. That's what it says in Hebrews 13, 17. We're going to stand before God alongside of you. And we are going to give an account for how we shepherded you. And so we need to know who it is that we're shepherding. We need to know where your character issues are. Uh, we need to know where sin is winning. Uh, we need to know the shape of our sheep. We need to know the names of our sheep. This is a huge responsibility that elders have. We see Paul's example, which is right before this little passage. He knew his sheep. He said, I lived among you in verse 18. I, I, and he served them with tears, verse 19. He knew when they had miscarriages. He knew when family members died. Uh, he knew when illness struck. He knew when a member of the congregation left the church because they no longer believed. He knew intimately the congregation. And then it says in verse 20, he did, not, he did not back down or shrink down from declaring to them anything that was profitable. In order to proclaim anything profitable means you have to know the deficits. And if you don't know the sheep, then you don't know the deficits. And he didn't back down. He walked intimately with the sheep. I love what John Piper says about this. He says, pastors smell like sheep because they're with the sheep. Have you seen pastors that hide in their office or just behind the pulpit? I'm not, I'm not disparaging them. I don't even know them. I'm, I, what I'm saying is we're called to know the flock and to be with you intimately. It's a huge responsibility that we have. We also have a huge responsibility in feeding you in feeding you. God will feed his flock his word. That's what it says in Ezekiel 34, 14, and 15. God will feed his flock his word. Do you remember what Jesus says to Peter in John chapter, 21, uh, John chapter 21? He says, do you love me? Then feed my lambs. Do you love me? Then tend to my sheep. It just this idea constantly that we must feed the sheep the word of God. That you've heard it said before, we don't really have anything to offer you. We don't have great ideas. We don't really have much at all except for the word of God. And I would say, God willing, our hopefully our faithful example. But we are to teach you the word of God. That means we are to study the word of God and prepare the word of God and to be accurate with the word of God 
and to rightly divide the word of God and to not shrink back from declaring you the whole counsel of God. You know, there's churches out there today that will skip over chapters of the Bible because it doesn't fit in their mission. I promise you, if that begins to happen here, you must fire me. I'm not, you know, I'm not joking. For your sake, for any of our sakes, we must preach the whole counsel of God. You remember Jesus being tempted in Matthew chapter 4. He says, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that protrudes from the mouth of God. And we have a responsibility to open God's word for you and rightly divide it before you. And so you will find that we have to take time to prepare God's word, to remember God's word, to rightly divide God's word. We have a responsibility to feed you the word of God. And this requires objectivity. I'll just be honest with you. This requires intentionality. This requires us to, yes, provide meat and potatoes, and this also requires vegetables too. And not everybody likes vegetables, except for Natalie Hisson, but everybody <laughs> doesn't like vegetables, but we have to preach the entire counsel of God to you, even if you don't like it. And even if you don't like us, we have a responsibility to preach it to you because we're going to stand before the living God on how we did this. Notice what Paul says in verses 21. I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable. Excuse me, that's verse 20. And he taught in public and from house to house. You'll find that we have responsibility to preach in corporate settings and we also have responsibility to preach in private settings and discipleship groups and from house to house. We have a responsibility to feed you the word of God. The whole counsel of God, as he says, in verse 27, he says he's not going to shrink back twice. This little passage right before the passage we're looking at, he is declaring the whole counsel of God. And what is he teaching? Well, he's teaching them the gospel. And the gospel is found in verse 20 and 21. He's preaching it both to the Jews and the Greeks that repentance toward God and faith in Christ Jesus, that's the gospel. And that's the same gospel that we're preaching today. There's no one that can save you except for Christ. He's uh, provided his son, or excuse me, God has provided his son to die on a cross. And if you trust in this son by faith, that through grace he will save you. And he'll call you to himself and he'll allow you to turn from your sin, to walk in a different way. We don't have anything else to preach to you except for the gospel of Christ. And that's what our commitment to, is, to, is to preach to you. And he did this. Notice Paul's example in verse 31. He did this with tears. Night and day for three years, Paul admonished the church, taught over and over again what the gospel is. That's his responsibility. We have the same responsibility. Uh, and this is even what Pastor Kurt talked about last week. Deacons, you play a huge role in serving the body so that the word is preserved and so that we can pray for the body. Those two things are essential. So I just want to emphasize again what Kurt talked about last week. For us to do the work of oversight, deacons, you are essential to this. Let me just say. Uh, third, we we're called to lead you. 
Uh, we're called to lead you. This is what shepherding looks like. We see a biblical theology of shepherding. I know we can't get to all of this role or all of the theology of shepherding today, but we're called to lead you. And this is what God, God is the shepherd of Israel. God is the, uh, Jesus is the great shepherd of the church. And he has under shepherds that lead. Um, this is Psalm 78, 52. Then he led out his people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. That's the heart of our God. And this is why he provides under shepherds. And the under shepherd's responsibility is to guide the sheep always to the good shepherd. Always to the great shepherd that's returning in 1 Peter 5, 4. Not to us, uh, not to new movements out there, but to the good shepherd, to the faithful shepherd, to the chief shepherd. That's our responsibility. And that requires us not to, not to be distracted and, and not, not, not to make decisions based on even a fear of the congregation, not liking the, the direction that we're going, but to lead always to the church, or excuse me, to lead always to the chief shepherd. Uh, lastly, we have a responsibility to protect you. We have a responsibility to protect you. Titus 1.9, which is talking about also those qualifications of elders, it says the elder must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. We have a responsibility to, to teach the full counsel and to contradict those who are not understanding the right doctrines. And, and, and I want us to notice that there's two types of threats that are present in this church. Look with me in verses 29 and 30 of chapter 20. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things, to draw away disciples after them. So I, I want us to see that in verse 29, threats come from outside the flock. So oftentimes when we think about dangers, we think of outside too, right? Like false gospels trying to get in or what society says about gender or whatever the threat is, pastors have a responsibility to protect the flock. It's exactly what Paul has done to this church. And now he's reminding the, the pastors, this is what you're called to do, to, to, to protect the flock from outside forces that are coming inside. But then it says something really interesting. And he, Paul says something very interesting in verse 30. But you're also to protect the flock from inside threats as well. I want you to hear that, Okay. From among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So threats come from outside the church and threats come from inside the church. And pastors have a responsibility to identify right doctrine, to confront wrong doctrine, hoping to lead people to right understanding if they're willing to listen. But that means there are threats all around, outside and even inside. Not trying to create mistrust here, but just recognizing that these, this is where these threats are coming from. And so we have a responsibility to, to feed you, to know you, to guide you to the, to the chief shepherd 
to protect you. And, and, and quite honestly, I hope you never think we're just great pastors. I hope you call us faithful pastors. I hope we're faithful before you. I hope that we are protecting one another from anything that tries to infiltrate good living, the Christian life because we've been redeemed by Christ and the doctrine that we've been called to guard and protect. This is our responsibility. And then he concludes verse 32 by commending uh, the elders to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among those who are, who are uh, sanctified. So just think about that. At the very end of it all, Paul says, hey, I'm giving you over to God. I commend you to God. Uh, I approve you before him to shepherd the flock of God. And he recognizes that God alone is the faithful protect, protector of his church. I, I assure you, a moment of vulnerability, I, I relate to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. He's, who is sufficient for these things? Well, I assure you that we are not apart from the grace of God, the spirit of God, and the word of God. That's why we need you to pray for us. We're confident that God always protects his church. That's why Paul, even in verse 32, is commending these elders to God and to the word of his grace because he knows who God is in his character and how God will care for his people. So God word, God's words we've looked at today provides elders for the church. There's men who are qualified uh, and must remain so. These are men who are working in plurality. And, and churches, you might be from churches that don't have a plurality. Uh, the encouragement would be to always be working towards a plurality, just as laid out here in the scriptures. Working towards uh, that faithful biblical model that we're seeing here. And we must know you. We must feed you. We must guide you. And we must protect you. In closing, I have a, a few quick applications for each group or several groups within the congregation. First to the elders. I know this is only a few of us in this room. But brothers, every day let's accept the responsibility to shepherd God's people. We have a responsibility to exercise the authority that Christ has given to us. Not lording it over the flock. Not being domineering as Peter warns about in 1 Peter 5 but shepherding the flock of God and serving as examples to the flock. We must live out an exemplary life before the flock. We must lead them always to the chief shepherd and never away from the chief shepherd. That's our responsibility. This kind of looks uh, in three, three little Ps for us, uh, elders. Uh, we want to pray for the sheep. We want to proclaim the gospel to the sheep, and we want to pursue the sheep. And we can talk about this at elder meeting next week. This is what we're called to do. Uh, brothers, I also want to remind us, elders, that we are called to guard our lives. We are to take inventory on our life. Where in our life does not line up with the qualifications that God has called us to? And, 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 and if there's areas that we need to confess and repent, let's confess and repent. And rest in the rest in the grace of Christ. And then lastly, to the elders, we are called to guard the sheep by preaching the whole counsel of God. We must preach Christ and nothing else.
Men will not be saved by any other word, by any other name, except for the name of Christ. And that's our responsibility. To aspiring elders, and I hope we have a ton of aspiring elders here. It would be great um, if God just raised up a ton of men. Uh, he says in Ephesians 4 that elders are a gift to the church. So God, give us as many gifts as you want to give to oversee your people. That's the way we look at this. If you are aspiring elder, if you have that desire to pastor God's people, um, I want you to ask yourself first, do you love the whole flock? Do you love the whole flock? Or do you just care about some of the flock? That's a, that's a good question because we're called to care for the whole flock of God. Every generation, every language, everybody that's known as first Irving. Ask yourself that investigatory question. Do you love the whole flock? Second thing, go and read the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3. And ask a loved one, where do you see deficits in your own character according to those qualifications? Just, it's helpful to know where your blind spots are, right? It might be just good practice for all of us to go and do that and ask our loved ones where they see deficits. Uh, and inside of that, if you do decide, desire the office of overseer one day or you're thinking about it, come and talk to us. Just come and talk to us. Let us walk with you in that. Let us tease that out with you. Uh, that's, a, that's a way we can get to know you better and, um, and then walk with you to affirm these things or not to affirm these things. Either way, it serves the church, right? And then lastly, uh, to the aspiring elders, I would encourage you to wait for the body to affirm you. Elders and pastors do this before they are called to the role. You know who they are before they're actually in the office. They're already doing the work. And so if you aspire to it, wait to say that you're called to the ministry until the church says, we think this brother is called to this work. It's an important thing. Uh, and to the congregation, a few things in closing. Implement the traits of a faithful elder. And I say that with fear and trembling also. That means we must be a good example to you. But be willing to implement the traits of a faithful, el a faithful elder. Um, it's not that we're perfect, but maybe you can observe the way that we treat our wives or the way that we shepherd our children or the way that we are patient in conflict. That's both an admonishment to us as elders or a reminder to us as elders and also a call to you to be willing to, to implement faithful traits that you see lived out. Number two, I ask that you would pray for your elders. Would you please, again, another appeal, would you pray for us? Would you, would you set aside time on a daily basis or a weekly basis to, to pray that we would not fall into sin? and that we would be men who fear God and not fear the congregation or fear the outside world. And number three, would you help to identify and affirm new elders? Would you help to identify who those men may be? We're actually gonna talk about this more at our member meeting, our family meeting next weekend. So come and we'll talk more about this. And then lastly, would you be willing to follow our lead. Uh, not as men who lorded over you. We are servants, but we're also leaders. And we have a responsibility to present you before the Lord. Um, 
mature in the faith, would you be willing to follow us? In fact, there's a word for you in Hebrews 13, 17. Go and read that and be reminded of what God would have you do um, in falling under that leadership, that subjectivity of, of the elders. It's not that we are worthy in ourselves to be followed. But we wanna be like Paul who says, follow me as I follow Christ from 1 Corinthians 11. That is the idea that we have. So as we're pointing to the chief shepherd, we're trying to follow him and we want you to follow after um, that lead. And then lastly, I'm just closing us up and we're gonna pray. I know it's a little longer today. It's hard to cover and we didn't cover 25% of it. Christ is the fulfillment of all these things. He is the chief shepherd. He is the senior pastor. He is the one who is righteous. He is the one who will protect you. He is the one who will feed you. He is the one who will guard you. He is the one who knows you best. And we're simply shadows trying to live this out. But this all finds its yes in Christ. So it's an appeal, it's a plea to remember Jesus the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the senior pastor, the only pastor, pastor of this church. So remember that in your heart as we pray and go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for your church. Thank you for your Christ who has died for her and he is forming his church now into maturity. Thank you for the genius design that you have for your church, Lord. We are so thankful. Lord, would you help us to be a faithful church? Would you help our pastors to be faithful? Father, would you help us to be a faithful congregation? And would you allow pastors and congregation, Father, to, to live in holy unity together as we serve out the roles and the responsibilities inside the body? Not one better than the other. There is not one member of the body or one position in the body that is better than another. And we were reminded of that in 1 Corinthians 12 just a few weeks ago. But God, would you give us the grace to pastor and to shepherd and to live this out for the glory of your name. In the name of Christ we pray, amen.